0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Live, go ahead, something
2: happened to the intro, Welcome, welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Sorry you missed our intro, but we'll tag that on. We have a great show for you today, a couple of interesting things happening in manufacturing. Uh, we also have my co-host, who happens to be down in Houston at what used to be the oil industry show, which uh, I'll let him explain to you. Lou, how are you doing down in Houston? Uh,
3: great now, it's 90 degrees here yesterday, and it's about... Seventy today, so um, much more suitable for my liking but uh, (laughs) it's a great show it's huge Uh, 50,000 visitors are expected there's about 15 or 18,000 exhibitors and exhibitors have huge pieces of equipment, just like we saw at the FMA show in Chicago about six months ago Uh, huge pieces, pieces of equipment some of them are so big that some of them have to be left outside and they put up these tents around them and they, you know, perform all of their functions outdoors because so they can't get them into the building. But uh, everybody seems to be uh, upbeat, even though there's uh, the oil industry in the virtual toilet. Uh, but there there's, uh, seems to be a lot of enthusiasm. So that, that's an interesting uh, note on that. Uh, just to move things uh, along a bit, uh, just a postscript from uh, last week's uh, show, uh, we had Dura, I'm um, going get the name Parrish, CEO and founder of MakeTime. And he explains uh, uh, how he has put together a B2B portal where Manufacturing companies who have excess machining time uh, can offer that machining time to those manufacturing companies that don't have enough capacity uh, or too much capacity, and um, they can buy machining time. And uh, it's a great concept. They only launched two weeks ago and uh, three weeks ago, and they've gotten you know thousands of people to sign up for it. It's uh, really very intriguing, and I think anyone who's interested in it, who has too much machining time or not enough to go to uh, make time, uh, I think that's the make time io Tim.
2: Make time.io. That's right,
3: Lou. Okay, and, uh, and or you can come to Manufacturing Talk Radio and listen to last week's show. At MFGTalkRadio.com, uh, the, the news item I already did. We're here at the show at the, <laughs> uh, uh, off, off, the offshore technology show. Um, it's uh, like I said, an exciting place. Uh, a lot of traffic, hotels are jammed. Everybody's spending money, and that's what makes Houston such a neat place. Tim.
2: Well, we certainly need them to spend lots of money, particularly in capital equipment, to really get manufacturing going, but to see how Absolutely. manufacturing manufacturing has been doing, we're going to be talking with Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair for the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business, which was just released, and Brad's going to give us an update and kind of a read-through in detail on the, the really the guts of that report, a lot of great information there. Brad, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Um... You mentioned Houston I had the pleasure of living there For a few years um, Back in uh, 2000 to 2005 And just enjoyed The weather enjoyed the, enjoyed the economy Which has diversified Considerably since the 80s And um, So I'm heading As a matter of fact I'm heading there myself Ah, okay So you're on the road also I am. Uh, But let's do our show. Let's talk about the uh, ISM report, which came out yesterday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, as usual, on the first business day of the month. And we are fortunate to see the PMI above 50 at 50.8 growing for the second consecutive month. And while the, the number per se is is down a point from last month, it is notable to to remember that we're growing for the second consecutive month following six months of 50 or below. So uh, perhaps and hopefully we've turned the corner, uh, although uh, we're still a little bit sort of sluggish and, and sputtering along. Nevertheless, there are some really good things to look at, and we'll talk about them in terms of new orders and production in a moment. Okay. Uh, so, again, the overall flavor is uh, is positive, uh, growing. And as we usually do, we look at the manufacturing at a glance table, which um a little bit of background noise. Lou, if you can put your cell phone on mute, that might help. Sure thing. Uh, excellent. That's uh, that's great. So let, let's talk about new orders. New orders is at 55.8 in terms of the index, which is a good solid number even though it's down two and a half points from last month. One thing that I really like about it is that This month, we have 15 of 18 industries reporting growth in new orders and only one reporting a decline in new orders, being the textile mills industry, I think among the smallest of the industries that we follow. So we've got good broad participation in in new orders uh, at 55.8. Uh, And and also, New Orders is growing growing for the fourth consecutive month. Uh, Next, uh, production, uh, very, very important uh, index as well. While it's down 1.1 percentage point from last month, it's at 54.2. And here again, we have 15 of our 18 industries reporting an increase in production from last month with only two reporting a decline uh... also textile mills uh... but also petroleum and coal products sort of no surprise there so brad
2: what are the respondents saying about these two components which
0: are, are pretty important here? uh... yes The the um, the comments, which is, as we talk about each time are selected from, from hundreds that we get and we try to make them representative of the mood, uh, they're, they're quite mixed this time. So there's some that are talking about a sluggish economy, for example, from the chemical products uh, industry uh, remaining a bit sluggish uh, overall, although showing signs of pickup in some areas. Um, one uh, comment from the machinery industry, auto industry is still going strong, which which we like. Uh, from miscellaneous manufacturing, which includes a whole bunch of things and is pretty sizable, business conditions are stable, sales and production rates are steady to improving, um, and then uh, Finally, for now, Wood Products, uh, the respondent is saying market is starting to pick up as expected, and uh, we're coming into to their season, fortunately. Right. Uh, let me right. go back to, to, the, to the top of that list and catch one more comment, which relates to capital expenditures, which we just sort of touched on, uh, from the food, beverage, and tobacco products industry to respond and to saying, we're, running, we're still running at capacity. There's a new capital expenditure project for $30 million uh, set in motion to increase capacity, but will not be online to 2017. So we like to see those capital expenditures uh, that's bullish for, uh, for the future. Uh, and, again, there's quite a mixed bag of comments here, but among them, uh, these are quite positive.
2: Great. Yeah, those sound very encouraging. Uh, certainly, uh, everyone also looks at the employment number.
0: What's happening with that, Brad? Yeah, it's, at, it's, going, it's gone up from 48.1 to 49.2, uh, up 1.1 percentage point. And so it's still contracting for five consecutive months, but definitely moving in the right direction. Uh, And I think it's just going to sort of, you know, stay roughly at this level for a while uh, until we really see a sense of direction and hopefully more new orders and and momentum. Okay. Uh, Again, I'm getting a lot of background noise, I hope. I hope everyone can hear me okay. Hear you you perfectly.
2: Now, I noticed uh, supplier deliveries have gotten slower, and that's probably a good thing, isn't it, Brad?
0: Supplier deliveries actually uh, got faster, okay? Anytime it's below 50, um, it represents uh, suppliers are catching up and, and moving faster. We kind of like it above 50 when it's slowed down. It represents tightness in the supply chain. But nevertheless, it's been hanging on on around uh, 50 for the last couple of months. So it's not not really anything to talk about or write home about at this point. Okay. Um, More – but nice try. (laughs) Uh, More importantly – you know, there's, there's some other really interesting things here. Inventories of raw materials at 45.5, down a point and a half, contracting a little bit faster than last month, contracting for 10 consecutive months. This is really significant because it represents um, a definite policy on the part of companies to keep inventories low and lean. Um, it's a financial, financially driven move, uh, which our chief financial officers undoubtedly are, are calling the shots. But what, and, and it's not a bad thing, uh, we just have to recognize that the inventories number at 45.5 is the lowest of all of the sub indexes that feed directly into the PMI. So it's keeping the PMI low to the extent that inventories uh, remain lean. Okay, just uh,
3: uh. just to add a note, uh, Brad, uh, you know, on our all metals and forge group uh, side of our business, um, we, we're getting tons of uh, inquiries for jobs in the metal working and metal-using industry, and uh, the number of orders, however, are lean by comparison, and we're hearing the same stories from all of our customers, that uh, their customers are holding back. It's it's almost like they're concerned about spending money. Their customers are holding back, and they don't want to spend money, Uh, even though some people have told us that their inventory is down, and as soon as I get the go-ahead, I'm going to release a couple of long-term contracts. But it seems as though everybody is kind of reserved and hesitant about right. spending an enormous amount of
0: money. Yeah, and 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 just, you know that I think that's that a great a way to I think that's a great way to characterize this this whole situation as is reserved and and, and conservative. Uh, certainly Correct. in terms of inventory policy. Um so, But if you go back to our December uh, forecast uh, report, that's a forecast for 2016. It specifically talks about uh, leaning down on the inventory-to-sales ratio, and here we see it uh, being played out. Um, and, and speaking of that, that December forecast, we're going to publish our spring update on May 18th, from the ISM conference uh, in in Indy uh, in just a couple of weeks. And that will have – the panel will tell us what they now think about 2016, uh, how we've done so far in the first uh, four months, and how we expect the entire year to to, to play out in all of these dimensions. So stay tuned for that. And I think –
3: We're going to have to get a hold of your uh, handler, to get you on our show cuz we're going to be there also and you can give us your updates uh, you know live perfect at, uh, at the ISM in Indianapolis. Uh, so great. Uh, we'll we see you there as have usual. You on. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. That's great. Very good. Now Brad,
0: Go
2: you also do a calculation between is it between inventories and new orders?
0: Yes. Uh, so yeah. you're asking me to do math in my head. Oh, no. Um, yeah, no, it's really – I love that. It's, it sort of tells me if the inventories are, are too high or too low or just right res, with respect to new orders. And I like to see a differential of five or more. This month it's 10.3. Uh, last month I think it was 11.3. So there's a lot of pull in there. Those new orders continue as they have for the past four months. Uh, we we most probably will see that inventory number rise and rise accordingly as to not fall short of the right inventories to, to manufacture products. Okay. okay.
2: So it's it a, pretty that's weird. a good
0: place to be. Yep. Um and while we're on inventories, uh, we also track customer inventories, which is finished goods. That's at 46, down three, too low uh, in the opinion of our panel. And, and uh, that's a good thing as well because that uh, suggests the the appetite for restocking finished goods, which will generate more new orders. Uh, next on our glad. list. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think you know. Again, people have been hesitant, but I think the hesitancy is starting to uh, to to be released and to manifest themselves in new orders. <clears throat> now, prices so of raw materials is uh is quite interesting too in that the index went up another seven and a half points and i think last month it was up like 13 points now at 59 uh increasing faster than last month so prices are increasing for the second consecutive month and i think this follows a year and a half or so of declining prices uh You know, most, if not all, related to the oil uh, pricing directly or indirectly. And now we see, you know, those prices are starting to ease. Oil has come back up into the lower 40s, I believe. That's all reflected in what we see in pricing. And as I've said along the way, I think in the short term, meaning that last year and a half, that's beneficial to manufacturing it uh you know creates lower raw materials prices it's less costly to run our plants etc but in the long term nobody likes to, to be dealing with you know deflationary prices so the needle is pointing back up for the last two months and as we sort of turn the page here and look at our commodities up in price list, you'll see quite a number of our metals, our plastics, our resins, uh, all things related to the price of oil and energy moving up, uh, with only one commodity on the down in price list, that being copper. And copper is also on the, uh, on the up list. Uh, by another panelist or two, so that's at an inflection point. But things are are moving up, I think, in the right direction, and uh, at the right level. So I'm I'm pleased with that actually. Oh great, that's encouraging. Um, also pleased. Also pleased with the next one. We've noted already that production has gone up, or, or is uh, remaining uh, growing, at 54.2. Uh, New orders are high, but the backlog also went up, Uh, and I sometimes refer to the backlog as as old orders. So both new orders and old orders in good shape. The backlog at 50.5, actually down a half a point, but still above 50. I like that. That supports uh, production as we go forward. Uh, finally on our our list we've got uh, you know the international metrics imports and exports Uh, exports of finished goods is at fifty two point five growing for the second consecutive month uh, up a half a point from last month and I think reflective of of two things the the, uh, the price of the dollar has attenuated uh, uh, to some degree, making our pricing more attractive uh, once again. And also, I think there's also pent-up demand over the past several months that's starting to emerge and appear these last couple of months in terms of exports of finished products. And then Talking finally on that, our list, go, go ahead.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to throw in about imports and exports. Uh being, being down here at the uh, Offshore Technology uh, Show, uh, we have spoken to some foreign companies, metal companies, for example, from Italy, who are absolutely crying the blues on how bad business is in Europe. And uh, they're, they're hoping for them to pick up business
2: here to import more
3: into our country. Um, it seems as though
0: Europe is still, you
3: know, behind us and not in the
0: future. Right. Um, although, as you look at the PMIs for both uh, both China, I think it was positive, 50.1, but Europe, I think 51, I'm going from memory, between 51 and 52. Uh, so it, it looks like they've stabilized to, to possibly improving. Right. Right. Okay. So then, the last index uh, that we cover on the side here is imports of raw materials. Uh, those those imports are at 50 point even, unchanged from last month. Um, they were contracting last month, but they're dead even this month, and I, that makes sense to me because imports of raw materials feed into our inventories of raw materials and we've already talked about that conservative policy to keep inventories down uh, which uh, then one of the uh, ramifications of that is that imports would be uh, uh, attenuated as well okay. so, so there's the list and, and some of the comments uh, my own view is that this is a you know, a quite a good report. Uh, again, second consecutive month of uh, growth in manufacturing. And let's not forget, 83rd consecutive month of growth uh, in the economy overall, according to our statistics. Yeah, that's a, that's great,
2: that. yeah no, that's a great number. Uh, Brad, you also have, in every report following these 10 indices, a buying policy can you can you touch on that briefly for our listeners
0: yes um, what we what we track and this is toward toward the end of the report buying policy you know we cover uh, essentially how long it takes if if one orders in three categories number one capital expenditures number two production materials number three MRO supplies sort of what are the lead times look like uh in terms of you know from order to to receipt uh in these categories uh, and it's all relative so the the end of the analysis here is the average days in order to you know receive your your orders so let's back up here in capital expenditures um just to acquaint the audience with uh with how we do this say you know hand to mouth meaning you know you can get them pretty quickly uh 23 days if you place an order you can get you know a lot of things ready-made things uh in 23 days in 30 days uh you get them in you know eight eight days uh, uh Sorry, let me let me just kind of run over to the end. I think it'll be more clear and and simply talk about the the average uh days uh, to order capital equipment. It's 120 days. So, okay. what's that about 4 months. Right. right. And and last month it was 121 days and in January it was 126. So, it's it's moved down uh, and you can get your capital equipment uh, a little more readily. and you can sort of read into that, if you will, uh, that uh, you know lead times are shortening, and therefore you know perhaps overall orders are down for capital expenditures. And I think we kind of know that. Uh, we know that from the December forecast. Uh, once again, let's, let's wait for the spring update when it talks about capital expenditures, and uh, this is suggesting that the lead time has gone down from January of 126 days uh, to currently 120 days. Not a lot of movement, but directionally it says uh, you can get your capital equipment uh, a, bit, a bit quicker these days. Okay. In, in terms of, of production materials, uh, production materials, you know, the average days to, to receive your order is 59 days. It's been hovering uh, up and down uh, the ranges uh, so far this year is 58 days to 62 days, and now it's down to 59 days. So that's, uh, that's pretty nominal and uh, representative of, of this type of environment. Uh, then MRO supplies, which one would expect that you could get those uh, more readily due to the nature of them, and it's true, the average days uh, right now is 29 days. Uh, most of, Many of the things that you can get are uh, available even much sooner than that, a few items uh, later, but on average 29 days. And it's been up and down just a couple of days Uh, throughout the year ranging from 27 to 29 days but it is uh it is indicative to you know to look at these more closely as an additional gauge of 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 how the economy is working and how it all relates and 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 is consistent uh with the rest of of the data
2: okay Okay. well that's great yeah it's a great report and we greatly appreciate you being on with us yeah. each month. to go going a little more depth on this, Brad. So once again, thank you for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio to present the latest manufacturing report on business.
0: And, Always and my Brad, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes.
3: And, and, Brad, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, in Indiana. We we'll just have to get with your folks and uh, pick out a time when we're going to see you. So we'll, uh, We look Excellent. forward to that and uh, see how your forecast from then to now has
0: uh, improved. Yeah, it's always, always nice to, to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Thank you and very look, much. Look, look forward to seeing you, and it will be a very interesting report when Tony and I have the opportunity to present the forecast in front of about 3,000 uh, supply management professionals and executives from around the world.
3: Absolutely. We look forward to it as well.
0: Thank you very much. Take care for now. have safe care. travels with Houston, Brad, and
2: uh, stay tuned. We're going to have uh, Chris Kuehl on with us next. Uh, Chris is an uh, economist. He uh, is with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He's also with the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. Uh, he is their economist, does a lot of great reporting for them. So stay tuned after our commercial breaks and listen to Chris give us an update on what's happening with the credit manager's report and the job shop report. The job shop is kind of a new discussion for us. So stay tuned and we'll be right back.
4: Featuring Talk Radio, we'll be right back. Way to improve quality while driving supply chain efficiency. Attend ISM 2016, the largest supply management conference on Earth with over 100 supply management sessions from the most successful companies on the planet, Walmart, Google, Toyota, and many others. Keynote, Alan Mulally, former president of Ford, will tell you how supply chain reform helped drive one of the biggest manufacturing turnarounds in history. It all happens May 15th to the 18th at the Indianapolis Convention Center. Go to ism2016.org to find out more and register now. That's ism2016.org.
3: Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778.
4: Keep your business humming. Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line.
0: All Metals and Forge Group
3: is an ISO 9001AS and EN 9100
4: manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium,
3: and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290.
4: Back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
2: Radio, my name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host Lou Weiss. and we have a guest with us who is one of our senior correspondents. He's been with us several times before, talking about the Credit Managers Index. Today he's going to talk about also the job shop report, two very interesting reports that we're kind of digging into. Uh, Chris Keel is an economist with FMA. He's also with Armada Corporate Intelligence. Chris, welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you very much, Tim. You forgot to mention that he's our humorist for the show. <laughs> that's, that's right. We, we, yeah,
1: and this we, this is only proof positive that you need to hire another humorist. But that that's you know, it's you just know we honest. need that budget.
3: We only have one for our budget, and you're it. And it was a pretty small budget, apparently. Um, so. it, yes, it is. It can only, our budget is only maxed out at the amount of money that we can lose. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, wait, wait till your
1: listeners realize that my humor is entirely mime, uh, so it's going to make a radio presentation tricky.
3: Yes. no no problem.
2: No problem. Okay. Uh, Let's start with the, the credit manager's index. What's happening out in the world of credit management and how are they faring?
1: Yeah, I'll start off a little bit with a description of what the credit manager's index actually measures. Everyone in your listenership, I'm sure, is quite familiar with the PMI, the purchasing manager's index. And, This has become kind of a go-to system for doing survey work. So if you're trying to get a sense of an industry, the techniques that they've developed over the last 20, 30 years have really been an inspiration to lots of other versions of it. So we look at the credit manager in the way that they look at the purchasing manager. We ask them a whole series of questions that basically have a more, less, or the same response. So, Either you're doing more of something, you're doing less of something, or it's exactly the same as it was the month before. And it allows us to get a, a sense of the trends in that industry. Now, the credit manager is paying close attention to the quality of the applications that are coming into their company. They're not bankers. They're not giving loans. They're deciding whether or not you're going to get credit at a given company to purchase a machine or inventory or whatever it is that you're looking to acquire. For the purposes of understanding where the the index has been, anything under 50 is considered contractionary. That is showing a slowdown in the economy. Anything over 50 is considered expansion. Obviously, the higher you go, the better the mood. So if you're up into the 60s, that's real growth. If you're way down in the 30s, that's pretty disastrous. What we have seen for the last four or five months is a steady increase moving up from kind of the mid to high 40s into the 50s, and in some cases, all the way up into the 60s. The first couple months that this happened, we were thinking, well, you know, we don't know if this is a real trend, what if this is an anomaly. We've now seen it five months in a row, and that's beginning to be very – encouraging both for the manufacturing and the non-manufacturing sector. So the latest data is, again, promising in some key areas. We've seen sales increase. We've seen applications for credit increase. We've also seen a decline in sort of the not-so-good survey data, things like accounts out for collection, bankruptcies, Low pays, all those sorts of things that drive credit managers nuts, those have that's become right. a little less of a threat.
2: Oh, good. Well, that's that's encouraging. Are there you know are there any um, landmines in the report that came out this month that uh, I was looking at it myself and I thought, you know, gee, it's it's not. Uh, oh wow, look at this, but it's still pretty encouraging, it's like cautious optimism.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is cautious optimism because we still have damage to contend with. We know that there are certain sectors in manufacturing that are doing better than others. If there is a concern at all in the data, it's it's we're looking at things like applications for credit and how many of these applications are being projected. We still have some, some numbers that it would suggest caution. Um, nothing really that's pointing in a negative direction, but what we would hope to see by this time is companies being more enthusiastic about the coming year and starting to, to do things that would suggest growth. And kind of the same thing that, that you'll hear, I think, about the PMI is that things aren't bad, but you still don't have that rolling enthusiasm for the future. Probably the best news that came out of the survey this month was that you were beginning to see kind of a recovery when it comes to companies that were in a certain amount of trouble before. This kind of data is always a little – you kind of have to take it with, with some caveats. Part of the reason that those negative numbers look less negative is that companies that were in serious trouble have gone away. <laughs> so gosh, bankruptcies are down. That's because a bunch of them went bankrupt. Um, <laughs> once the once the situation has kind of reached its end, that company is, is no longer a threat. It's gone. So the good news is that there have not been kind of new problems cropping up as the old problems work themselves out. Uh, we're not seeing – as many accounts are for collection, and that's a good sign, because for a credit manager, that is the very last straw. They will do absolutely everything they can to avoid going into collection. So it's good news when you start to see less in the way of collection activity. Um, We would still like to see a little bit better data when it comes to things like dollar collection. Uh, This is a good sign that people are trying to catch up, and get their credit in shape, and that usually is done in anticipation of asking for more credit. So the more that we can see those collections improving. Now this particular month, the service side did a little better than the manufacturing side. Manufacturing had had some some pitfalls, particularly when it comes to uh, some of the struggles. But even with that, there was an improvement overall. in uh, in the negative, the non favorable categories. Services, I think, got a real boost from uh, kind of the construction season uh, beginning, and that actually reflects pretty nicely into manufacturing because if construction is doing well, at some point it begins to slip over into manufacturing too. Uh,
3: Chris, uh, let me me ask you a question. uh, and it's a, it's a little off topic, but obviously it's all related. The Federal Reserve, again, decided not to raise uh, interest rates. How How is that going to an, an, uh, affect uh, the going going forward in regards to credit uh, manufacturing and so on?
1: You know, it's not going to have an immediate impact because, of course, we've been dealing with this now for close to a decade. It's... The problem for the Fed is that they just don't have the ammunition that they would need if there's going to be another downturn. I mean, the biggest concern, the most consistent message from the Fed is that we need to raise interest rates because at some point we need to lower them again. And if we have a recession coming in the future, which at this point there really is no sign of, the Fed worries that, well, geez, if we get another recession, you know, what do we do? Lower the rates from half a point to <laughs> get a quarter of a point? You know, how stimulative is that? So uh, there or minus there, a half or Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're gonna if you borrow money we'll give you more than you ask for. Um, it, it's a it's kind of a signal that things are, are coming back. There was an expectation last December when they raised the rates, uh, that they would be raised again in March. And as we are all aware, we are now at the end of April. And those rates did not come up. And now maybe they'll come up in June, maybe September, maybe 2080. We don't know. And (laughs) the the, the Fed is kind of faced with the fact that the economy is still soft. I mean, the latest data that came out on corporate spending is that it's soft. And – There's been a conversation for quite some time among economists as to what to even call this current situation, and we've gotten such exciting terms as as permanent mediocrity, um, secular stagnation. It's kind of like (laughs) we're we're not actually in a crisis, but we're in a consistent, chronic, slow-growth environment where exports aren't doing well and Companies aren't hiring and consumers aren't spending, not that they've gone into full retreat, but it's not enough to kind of boost what's going on. And that's, that's where the whole conversation begins to go back to, you know, should or should we not be doing fiscal stimulus, which is traditionally what governments have done, but when they've done it in the past, they've not been saddled with massive debt. So it's like, yeah, we know this works, we know that if the government spent a bunch of money it would work, but they don't have it. And what happens if you spend a bunch of borrowed money? You know, does that have the same effect? And and chances are it doesn't, or at least it's real short term.
3: Well they don't have to print they don't have to borrow it, they just have to print it like they've been well, doing
1: yeah, for but, decades. But, but that's, that's what they do when they borrow. See, the, the Fed does. <laughs> when the, when we say the Fed is printing money, it doesn't print anything. What it does is buy treasury bills. So right now, the number one holder of U.S. debt is the Fed. At the beginning of the, of the recession in the night, you know, 2008, 2009, the Fed had a balance sheet of about $800 billion. It is now 600 Trillion, So the vast majority of the debt is held by the Fed. So it's kind of good news, bad news. You know, the bad news is there's a tremendous amount of debt. The good news is it's held by the Fed, so it's not like they're going to foreclose on the government. But it, it every time you push money into the economy now, you're doing it with borrowed cash. And eventually that's going to have to be paid off, debt service already is the fourth largest category of the federal budget. So the more that we have to do that, the bigger that number gets. And we're all familiar with debt service every time we get our Visa and MasterCard bills. It's like, oh, ooh, I bought that thing, and now I'm paying for it again.
2: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's certainly just – do you see any signs of deflation out there at all, Chris?
1: You know, it really has not manifested much. Um, the U.S. is a very difficult country to introduce deflation into because we have very committed consumers. When we talk about consumers slowing down in the U.S., many other countries are looking at us like, what are you talking about? Which are spent like that. Japan can't <laughs> get its consumers to engage, China can't really get its consumers to engage. And you know, we still live in a country. Where the vast majority of us were saying, I can't be broke. I still have checks. So you know, we're 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 good spenders, and we could be better. We have been in the past,
3: <clears throat>
1: but at this point, we're more worried about a not so much a deflationary period, but <clears throat> not enough inflation to really start increasing wages and giving producers an opportunity to raise prices. I mean, that's, that's what been hurting manufacturers is, they're in an environment where they can't raise prices. And if they can't raise prices, then they can't hire, they can't do capital spending, they're just kind of stuck where they are. Uh,
3: Chris, I, I, again, I'm taking you off point, um, and we've been uh, having here discussions and also with other uh, uh, guests on our show, and I've been doing some uh, uh, off-manufacturing talk radio-type shows on other radio show programs. And one of the hot topics, and it's certainly a hot topic as it comes to the political environment, is the $15 minimum wage issue. And I've got some real serious uh, uh, thoughts on that, and I, I certainly would like to hear your input on that as to uh, what and how is that going to affect us, if at all? Yeah, it's a kind of a complicated topic, although the politicians want to make it
1: simple. First off, we have to recognize that we're only talking about 3.4% of the wage earning population in the U.S. So That's 6 one million, of the, pe-
3: that's six million yeah, people.
1: Right. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's That's a significant number of people, to be sure. But of that group, almost 60% of them are under the age of 20. So we're really obsessing over what a teenager is getting at a fast food place. And granted, these have changed. And we now have a lot of people who are trying to make a living and raise families in and minimum wage jobs, that it is still predominantly a payment for starter workers and that sort of thing. Not to go off topic from the off topic, but one of my pet peeves is whenever a politician talks about creating jobs, because we know that politics does not create jobs. Government really does not create jobs. It's done by the private sector. Government is in the role of helping that environment some way or the other. One of the concerns is that we have somewhere close to 6 to 7 trillion job openings in the U.S. and maybe 9 million people out of work. Why are we focusing on creating jobs? We already have them. We have 7 million Uh jobs that nobody is filling. They're not being filled because they're not trained.
3: Yeah, Chris, you're, you're my man. I listened to this Stuff. I don't want to call it by what I really call it. I listen to this stuff on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, and they're all liars. You have spoken more truth in the last two minutes than all those stations put together. I mean, that's incredible. You're right. There's only 6 million people that are involved. Uh, I heard uh, Mr. Uh, Sanders say, or is it Trump? I'm not sure. They're all the same, say that there are 30 million people that are affected by the $15 uh, minimum wage. And it's an absolute lie. It doesn't exist.
1: No, it's it's a complete fabrication, and it's stretching, stretching the truth beyond all limits. I mean, what you're really seeing is people having fun with statistics, and so they're taking a minimum wage person, and then they're making assumptions, saying, well, that person probably has a wife and three kids, and, or maybe six or maybe 14 kids, Who you knows? and they're all being affected. No, it's 30 kids. I'm sure they have 30 kids, and, and they're trying to raise 30 kids on, on $10 an hour. It's like, are you kidding me? The kid's 16. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of the other concerns that we ought to be paying attention to is that when the minimum wage rises and a company does have to deal with increased labor costs, they have choices to make. And one of the choices is, do I continue to hire as many people as I have in the past? And buried in some of these announcements from the likes of McDonald's and Walmart and the others, and they talk about raising wages, McDonald's is going to shift almost entirely over the next five or six years to touch screen ordering. There will be no people standing at the front of the restaurant staff, way, you don't have to pay them. And Walmart right. is going to be moving more and more and more towards self checkout. And I saw my first stocking robot moving up and down the aisles of the store, putting things away. I asked the manager, why are you doing this? He said, I can't find people that want to work the night shift and stock. So I bought one and of I was tar-
3: And that was Target.
1: Yeah. And it's like. Right. There's, there's come a point where people just make a calculation, and it's like I can't afford to pay that much for the skill level that I'm getting for that kind of a worker. And, and then the other issue that hits manufacturers, I think, harder, is that we have a lot of people who are now making 15 16 $17 an hour, and they're proud of the fact that they make twice the minimum wage. Well, you increase them in the minimum wage to fifteen, and theirs doesn't change, and they start to say, "Excuse me, I've been working at this company for X number of years, learning to be a operator and and gathering skills, and you're going to pay that the same you pay me." You know, I mean, instantly you have got a bunch of people saying, "Well, if you don't pay me thirty bucks an hour, I'm out of here." You know so it it isn't a, a simple construct, and I keep coming back to the fact that if the real issue is helping people make enough money to raise a family, then for Christ's sake, can we please train them to take one of these seven million jobs and And it's like problem solved. they have a better job, they're getting paid more, the company has a good employee. Why is that a bad thing
3: so well, minimum wage was really never meant to take people out of poverty. It was, no. It was meant. It was meant to give them a uh, a cash flow that keeps them afloat, but not to, uh, you know, the number you used earlier, the sixteen-year-old, really sixteen to twenty-four-year-old that represents fifty percent of the six million that are uh, going to be subject to mm-hmm. the minimum wage. And it's, I mean, uh, it was never even—it was never even really designed to be uh,
1: anything other than an opportunity to start in the work world. The idea correct. was that you don't have relevant skills right now; you're still in school, you don't have any of the experience or, or credits that you need. So, a company is going to take a risk on you and hope that you learn how to be a good employee. And the expectation was you're gonna be at minimum wage for a few months, a year, before you get promoted, assuming that you figure out the way that one gets promoted. And if you don't want to do that, and you stay in a minimum wage position forever, I mean, it, it just, there comes a point where you look at a company saying, but I've been with you for 15 years. I know, that's your fault, buddy, I I never intended to hire anybody for more than six months to a year. If you want to keep working here for 15 years for 7 bucks, be my guest. But I fully intended to lose you in six months and replace
3: you with another 17-year-old. Just as an aside, uh, tomorrow night, Manufacturing Talk Radio is uh, broadcasting from the U.N. Plaza. Uh, having a discussion between uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology and several of the uh, German uh, associations and universities talking about skill sets and vocational Mm -hmm. training and how it works for them and how we should be doing it here like the Germans did. And it's very clear that those 6 million people that are unemployed – If you're not ready for college, go into vocational training, uh, apprenticeship training, and so on. This is going to be a a two-hour event tomorrow night. Actually, we're going to be uh, broadcasting it. We're going to video it, and it will be on our website in a day or three after that. But it's really incredible that uh, uh, we're caught between the minimum wage crowd and the millennials who want $100,000 a year that really don't have any skills. So yep. give me your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we could do as a country is is pay attention to what other countries have done. I mean, this is not a unique problem. Every country in the world faces it. And we have rarely had much cooperation between business, education, and and the government when it comes to training. It's very haphazard. And at some point, we have to really look at this hard. And it's something politicians don't want to do because it's long-term. And it's expensive. I mean, it's not – minimum wage is so easy for a politician because they're not paying it. You know, just change the law and make somebody else do it. And it's like, well, yeah, but training and education is going to make you put your money where your mouth is. You're Mm -hmm. going to have to support this. You're going to have to – take the bull by the horns and realize because you haven't done this for 200 years, you're going to have to make up some ground. And it's the Germans do it, the Japanese do it, the British do it. Even just looking at the relationship between unions and companies in the U.S. versus the other parts of the world, the British have a much different attitude towards unions because the unions train their workers. And if you're a company, it's like, yeah, well, you know, I have my fights with the unions. On the other hand, if I get a new order on Friday and I need 10 new guys on Monday, they're there and trained and ready. And, mm-hmm. and in this country, it's like I need 10 new workers. Well, in five years, I'll be able to take on that project. <laughs> oh, well, you know.
2: <laughs> That's about right. So b- before we jump uh, off uh, off off topic, Give us your read of the, the uh, job shop report. That's kind of the first time I've delved into that. Chris, I found that quite interesting.
1: Yeah, this is something that's fairly new. Fabricators uh, and manufacturers, as, again, many listeners probably know, mostly consists of small to medium-sized companies, a lot of job shop <clears throat> representation, the machine tool makers that sell to the job shops, et cetera. Very few companies organizations have really been able to get much information from that size business. And we started about a year ago collecting data on a quarterly basis. So we now have about a year uh, of which we can kind of track back and see what things look like and what they look like now. For the most part, the news has been encouraging. You're starting to see job shops have a more positive attitude about new orders, they're beginning to think more about their capital investment plans. They're starting to think more about hiring. It's not dramatic, um, but just for example, the last quarter at the end of last year, capacity utilization for the small shops was around 61%, which is pretty low. The national norm when it comes to capacity utilization is around 77. Ideal is between 80 and 85 It's still low, but it has jumped from 61 to almost 68. So you're now beginning to see the job shops using the capacity they have. And, frankly, it's rare for them to get much past the low 70s. Uh, Job shops have a tendency to buy things, and it takes them years to be able to justify that purchase. But we're basically seeing a more confident small business obviously has some connections to what sector they're active in. You know, the oil and gas guys are not in a very good mood and probably won't be for a while. Meanwhile, those who are selling into automotive or aerospace are quite encouraged, and that's something that's likely to continue throughout the year.
2: Well, you make a very interesting statement in that report that the job shop can only grow at the rate at which they're Larger customers and OEMs are growing and buying from them. They're really exactly.
1: They're very much in. They're very much in.
0: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.